Hey, Pastor Justin here, and I want to welcome you to our verse-by-verse teaching through God's Word. We hope and pray that this is a huge resource to you, and it helps you grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ and the Bible. Also, want to encourage you, if this is your only place where you're being fed, go and be a part of the local church. We love being a part of your life, but it's no substitute for being a part and serving in the local church. Also, if this has blessed you, we would love to hear about it. There's an email that's listed below, and if you send us an email and just tell us how God's Word has changed your life, it would bless us tremendously. Also, would you pray and consider maybe helping us continue this ministry and getting God's Word all over the world? You can do that by going to newheightsohio.com and click on the Giving tab. Anything helps, and we appreciate it. God bless. You know, what's funny is I growing up, you would always hear people when they who don't want to tell you their age or as they get older or have different milestones, they might get a little discouraged and start looking at their life. And I never understood that growing up. And then the last two weeks, I've actually experienced that a little bit. You know, I knew if 40 is young. 40 is young, right, people? Come on. But two weeks ago, I'll tell you how it all started. So two weeks ago, I had a doctor's appointment. It was the weirdest doctor's appointment I've ever had. So apparently, once I hit 40, you got to do other kinds of doctor's appointments, and I'm not ready for that. I'll just say that. Not looking forward to my 40s uh, after a visit with my doctor. But he asked me all kinds of questions that just humbled me and made me mad, really. You know, would ask questions. Anyway, so it all started there. Walked away, felt really weird. (laughs) Told, Told Liz that was not fun. Then about, yeah, almost a few days after that, I was invited by some young high school guys to go play basketball, and I thought this would be a good time to go out. And I, you know, I, I've told you in my sermons before, I was, I was a basketball player back uh, in high school. I tell my kids the glory story all the time. I, you know, I started as a point guard my senior year, and well, I don't want to brag, but I was okay for a, for a small guy. And so I was pretty excited to go out there and showcase my skills. And, you know, they did something funny. It was like going back to elementary school. They had every single guy line up, and they were going to pick teams. So the first two guys that made the shots got to pick teams. I was the very last one picked, which I was extremely offended. <laughs> but then I was even more offended by what the young 16-year-old said. He said, I'll take Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> So I was determined to show him, and I really believed I could run with these guys. This was the thing. I was a good basketball player, so I just loved it. I got a kick out of it. I'm going to show these young guys that I can ball. And I got schooled really quick, real early in the game, and he had uh, driven to the basket, scored a layup, and I guess the thing now is these young guys like to talk trash. I guess it's just part of the game. So he said, maybe next time, Grandpa. I said, my name is Justin. (laughs) You guys invited me to play. Remember that. And I had determined I was going to follow him the whole time. I was going to teach him a lesson. And I'm telling you, it was the first time in my, I couldn't keep up with this young guy. I just couldn't do it. I did everything they taught me in basketball. I was looking at his hips. I knew the move he was going to make, but my body wouldn't follow it. And this guy just lit me up all night. And I had to hear the chatter. I was trying so hard that at one point I had to go over and bend over and just breathe because I thought I was having an asthma attack. And he came over, this young guy on my team came over, put his arm around me and said, hey, I think we're okay if you need to sit out for a little bit. And I thought, 
am I that bad that they would rather have me sit out and do four on five? I felt old, so I got in the car, I drove home, and I told Liz, that was so depressing. And then the next day was even more depressing because I couldn't get out of bed. Every single muscle in my body hurt, and it made me feel old. I couldn't, I didn't, I used muscles on that night that I didn't even know I had. I mean, it was crazy. So, but the most depressing thing came this week when I went and got a haircut, and I go to the same place, and the same person cuts my hair. Person calls me Rev. Uh, (laughs) Anyway. The end, when they shampoo your hair, he said, Rev, I'm going to use a new shampoo on you this time. I said, okay, I'm open to that. He said, yeah, I'm going to use a shampoo that's supposed to help with balding. (laughs) He wasn't teasing me. He wasn't joking. He didn't even know I was turning 40. I said, what? (laughs) He goes, yeah, this is a new stuff. It's good. Uh, When I start seeing guys get a receding hairline, I just want to promote it so you can buy it afterwards. It's like $40 a bottle or whatever. And I I said, no, did you, but why would you use that on me? (laughs) You know, and he just looked at me confused and he's, now he's uncomfortable. He doesn't want to lose his tip and he can tell I'm a little upset. And I said, no, really, why would you use that on me? And he goes, look, Rev, I've been cutting your hair for a while. He goes, you're not balding up top, but you, you're, you are getting a receding hairline. He's like, you know, you don't have to use it. We could go back to the stuff you use. It was so depressing. I told Liz, I, I don't want to lose my hair. I will get, I'm already short. I will get fat, but I refuse to be bald. Okay? My mom always told my dad when she got married, I'll love you if you're short and fat. Um, but I won't love you if you're short, bald, and fat. And so that was a lie, though. She loved him, and he was short, bald, and fat. So it's been a a fun, interesting two weeks, and I'm saying hello to the 40s, and I can't wait. 40s is the new 30s, by the way, just so you know, yeah. Yeah, maybe I should dye my my beard. Uh, Asher then again this week said, hey, Dad, you could be Santa Claus. Your beard's getting white. Respect, respect, respect. Are you ready to get into God's word? Let's do it. I have missed being behind this pulpit. This is our last week. Well, technically next week is an online service and we've got a Christmas uh, message for you as well. But then come, come the month of January, we are jumping back into expository preaching verse by verse. We love God's word here at New Heights Church telling you, if you're brand new, we usually do verse-by-verse preaching. We'll take the month of December and we'll focus on, on G- a lot of doctrine in Christmas. I'm going to talk about it today. And just so you know, I'm going to take you right to the Word of God and we're going to look at the meaning of Christmas behind the greatest gift ever given, and that's Jesus Christ. So December 17th, 1903, hopefully none of you remember that day. Uh, but it's, it's a day that historically was very, very important. There were two young men from Dayton, Ohio. Come on. Two young men from Ohio, our Buckeye State, who found their way to the sand dunes of Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, and decided to try out their heavier-than-air machine, as they called it. These two men owned a bicycle shop in Ohio. I've been to that bicycle shop. And they put together this contraption because they had the dream that man could fly. And on that date, they succeeded with the very first flight as a part of their dream. They flew, 
And hear, hear me out, get this, they flew for a long time, it was 12 seconds. That was the airplane ride. 12 seconds, 120 feet, that was it. But it was exciting because they actually went back. They sent a wire back to their sister, Catherine, in Dayton, Ohio. And the wire said this, we have actually flown 120 feet. And then the next line says, we will be home for Christmas. So Catherine, she gets the wire. She's excited. She runs down to the newspaper. She shows the editor, thinking he's going to be just as excited as she was. And Because after all, I mean, this was historic. This was monumental. But do you know, he looked at the wire and he said, oh, that's nice. The boys are going to be home for Christmas. <laughs> what in the world? Right? He misses one of the most historic events of all time. I mean, mankind had flown for crying out loud. It was the news of the century, and he doesn't get it. And here's the kicker. The same kind of thing happens every year. Every year at Christmas, people overlook the real meaning of Christmas. And I mean every year. The world overshadows the news of the century, the news of all of history, that Jesus Christ, God's son, was born into this world to atone for our sins. The real meaning behind Christmas, and yet we focus on everything else. Christmas, it's become so commercialized. And, and, and let me pause for a moment because I, I have no problem with enjoying the fun things about Christmas season. I'm not here to preach you can't enjoy the tree or the lights, all the fun festivities. I love Christmas. Santa Claus has become a part of Christmas culturally, right? I, lo- I love all of that. I, lo- I take my kids, well, they won't do it anymore. Again, I feel old. Couldn't get my kids to go sit in Santa's lap this year for Christmas. But we usually go to Bass Pro and we'll take a picture every year. And I have these pictures throughout the years. And this year my kids, no. Allie says it's kind of creepy sitting in an old man's lap that I don't know. And you can't argue with that, right? (laughs) She doesn't want to do it anymore. But I love, I love Christmas. I love all of it. I love going to look at the lights. I put lights. I have candy canes in my yard. I love Christmas. I'm definitely not telling you that you can't enjoy all of that stuff. But sometimes in the hustle and bustle of Christmas, uh, it, it, that's what it becomes. We focus on everything but Jesus. And I want all of us today, every single person who's walked through the doors of this church today, to intentionally remember Jesus in this season. Ask yourself today, where's Jesus with you and your thinking during the Christmas season? Because listen, if, if I say anything, you take anything home today, take this home. Christmas is about keeping Christ at the center of our celebration. It's not necessarily that you can't enjoy the other parts of Christmas. I love it all. I've got Santas in my house, and I, I've got little elves. <laughs> well, I have three little elves, but I have, I have little elves all over my... I love to decorate for Christmas. I love it. I'm not telling you that. But after, after Easter, Christmas should be the happiest day of the year in Christian worship. And the reason I say after Easter is that Good Friday and Easter, that's the goal of Christmas. It's the goal of Christmas. The salvation of sinners through the death and resurrection of Jesus is the goal of Christmas. Christmas is not the goal of Easter. Christmas is a means. The salvation of sinners on Good Friday and Easter, that's the goal. And I want to take you through a few scriptures, and we're going to look at why Jesus came. So Jesus came at Christmas to seek and save the lost. Luke 19, 10. I think that's a different one. So uh, I'm going to just... 
keep preaching, okay? So here are some reasons that Jesus Christ came. He came to seek and save the lost. We see that in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Enos is saying, switch it. Luke, hey, there it is. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. In 1 Timothy 1.15, we see that Jesus came to save sinners. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Jesus came to, at Christmas to give his life as a ransom for many For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came at Christmas not to call the righteous, but sinners. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus came at Christmas to destroy the works of the devil. I'm giving you kind of an exhausted list here, but just stay with me, exhaustive. Whoever makes a practice of singing is of the devil, for the devil, sinnings, not singing, (laughs) Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And in Hebrews 2.14, Jesus came at Christmas that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death that is the devil. Come on, somebody. This is what Christmas is about. So the birth of the Son of God and and very God and very man is amazing. It is unique, seriously, overflowing with the most amazing news of all time. Some very, very joyful news. The angel called it good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. Not small joy, not a little bit of joy, but great joy. And last week with the kids, I mentioned the gifts that the wise men had brought to Jesus. You remember that? By the way, wasn't that a fun service? I loved playing Mr. Rogers. (laughs) Three gifts that were brought by the Magi. The first gift was the gold, remember? Gold was given, and I showed the children that it was uh, emblematic of Jesus coming to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In fact, the Magi actually said, we've come to find the one who has been born the king of the Jews. They were looking for a king, and they brought a gift that was fitting for a king, and that was gold. Then the second gift we talked about was frankincense, and I showed that this was uh, symbolic of the priesthood and the tabernacle and the temple. It represented the incense that was used in the temple. It was symbolic of the praise that rises when we worship, and it was also symbolic that Jesus is our great high priest. And what a gift that was to give frankincense. And the last gift we talked about was the myrrh that Jesus had been given. And I taught the children what this was used for. It was used as embalming fluid. (laughs) Now, if I got a gift from my friends, from my newborn baby, and it was embalming fluid, well, (laughs) I'm not sure what I would do with that. But of course, that was symbolic of what Jesus would do in his sacrificial death for you and for me. So it was important to show the kids what these gifts meant last week. Now this morning, I want to talk about the gift. I want to talk about the the gift, singular, not the gifts that were given to Jesus, but the gift. And that's what Christmas is all about, the gift. And it's the gift of salvation that comes through the person of Jesus Christ given to mankind. I want to take you to the Word of God, because if you want to hear a word from God, you need to open up the Word of God. Amen? (laughs) 
<laughs> so if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, would you open up to Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 15? And if you don't, I'm going to put it up on the screen so you can follow along as we look at this. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. I hope I missed one. All right, starting in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the trans transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Amen. Amen, right? Can we pray? Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your son. Thank you so much for what Christmas represents, what it's symbolic of, the fact that you sent your one and only son to this earth to take on the penalty of the sin on our part. What an amazing, powerful, profound truth that is. And so God, today as we look at that, we remember the gift, would the Holy Spirit do what only the Holy Spirit can do? Would the Holy Spirit speak directly into our hearts and our minds? And would your word transform us and change us? And would we walk out of this place today forever grateful of what you've done for us? In Jesus' name, everybody says, amen. So do you see the difference between the gifts we talked about last week, the gold, the frankincense, sense the myrrh and the gift that Paul just described in Romans. The one gift that Paul's writing about is a gift given by Christ to all men. The three gifts that were given when Jesus was just a child, they symbolized his future. In fact, the gift, the singular, uh, was given when Jesus Christ was a man and what a gift it was because it affects you and me today. This gift has everything to do with our future. The gifts given to Jesus as a child, they were they were things that only had value here on this earth, on this side of eternity. But the gift that Jesus gave affects our future. It, it, it has a value in heaven. It has value in eternity. Now, do you see the difference between the gifts? And some of you are thinking, why is he spending so much time contrasting the physical gifts that the wise men brought and the, and the singular gift that God gave the world through Jesus? Well, because that's just what Paul did. That's exactly what Paul does in the passage we just read. He draws the contrast between Adam and Jesus. Adam sinned, Jesus saves. When Adam did what he did, many people died. When Jesus did what he did, many can live. What Adam did, it brought all kinds of slavery, bondage, addiction. But what Jesus has done has the ability to bring freedom did you just hear me? What Jesus has done has the ability and the capability of bringing freedom, bringing victory. See, Adam disobeyed God as creator. Jesus obeyed God as father. Adam sinned, and when he did, people thereafter, they were declared what? Unrighteous. Jesus paid the price. He gave the gift. He gave his life. And now because of what Jesus did, people can be declared righteous. That's a powerful truth. It's a big contrast there, right? So what I want to do is take the next few moments and, and I want to look at what this gift means to you and to me today. Number one, this gift means you are on God's radar. You are on God's radar. You. First off, let's think about this. Being on God's radar means he loves you. Okay? So when you get a gift, what does that tell you? 
When you get a gift from someone, someone was thinking about you. You were on somebody's radar. They were thinking about you. Did you know I love gifts? I really do. I love gifts. And here's the truth. I am very sentimental. Very sentimental. A gift that somebody gives me does not have to be an expensive gift. I love the thought behind gifts. And I'm so sentimental that I don't get rid of gifts. I like to keep them. In fact, I got a gift this morning that meant so much to me. It was a coffee mug and it said pastor on it. And I just, I mean, already I'm getting off to an amazing start. What an incredible gift. It was so thoughtful, so sentimental. I've got an office full of sentimental gifts. I have people that have given me things throughout the years and they're sentimental to me and they mean something. Now somebody else could come in and look at those and not think anything, but to me, they mean something. They come from people who love me and who were thinking about me. And I love it, right? Each gift came with an expression of love. That's what a gift is. Someone took the time to go out and buy me a gift. That demonstrates love because love does things like that, right? You ever had a, uh, think about relationships here for a minute. It's a two-way street. If someone in a relationship decides to stop loving, uh, they stop caring. And when they stop caring, they stop giving. And I'm not just talking about physical gifts. When somebody is done in a relationship, they're not going to give anything anymore to that person. So you ever had a friend like that? Who always, it's always, always, always about them. Every time you hang out, it's what they want to do. They're only able to think about themselves. So they're never going to think about you. And, and that's just, that's not love, right? Because true love thinks not only about themselves, it thinks about the one that they love. Giving says, I love you. Gifts are an expression of love. The fact that God gave his son as a gift means that we are on God's radar. It means that we are loved. You know, I, I was reading this week as I was studying for this sermon, and I was reading about all of these skeptics, all of these critics of God who's, who want to say that God doesn't love, and uh, a lot of it came from atheists, and I came across this story, and I thought this was real powerful. The first Russian uh, cosmonaut, uh, Yuri uh, Gagarin, I think I'm saying his name right, he famously said when he got to space, he said, my atheism has been confirmed. I went up in space and looked around and I didn't see any God. Shortly after this, C.S. Lewis wrote an essay responding to his statement. Lewis pointed out that if there is a God who created everything, he would not relate to us the way a person who lives upstairs relates to a person who lives downstairs. This seemed to be Yuri's assumption. God lives somewhere up there, and if we climb high enough, then we're going to find him. No, Lewis said if, if God is creator, then he would relate to us more like Shakespeare relates to Hamlet. Hamlet's never going to find out anything about Shakespeare by going backstage. The only way Hamlet knows Shakespeare is if Shakespeare writes information about himself into the play. But listen, the Gospels go, go one better. God inserted himself into the play. He wrote himself into creation, and amazingly, he did so not only as the judge, but as the suffering redeemer. The gospel, you see, shows us something about God that creation never shows us. Listen to me. Our God is a faithful, pursuing father who wouldn't let us go even after we rejected him. When it came time to pour out his judgment, he poured out his first on himself and he will release us from our punishment if we accept that and trust it. See, searching the stars would never have shown us this. We can know the power of God from creation. We can know the justice of God from our conscience, but we can only know the love of God from the cross. 
Romans 5, 8 says, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you wanna know who God is? The cross shows you that yes, God is powerful. Yes, he's holy. Yes, you and I are unrighteous, but he came after us anyway. You can say the, the song that the saints have sang all throughout history, we could join with this think, thought, this thinking. It says, and it can be said that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood. Died he for me who caused his pain for me, who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Of all the stuff that God is accused of in a rebellious world, I absolutely go crazy when I hear that my God is not loving. What an absurd thought. Love is at the very core of God's nature. The Bible says God is love. And it's something that we hear about all our lives, especially if we've been raised in the church, but it's also a truth that we sometimes don't fully grasp or understand, and the result of that is sometimes this lack of appreciation for what God has done for us. The love of God was so unique that the Apostle John said, behold, what manner of love. Behold, what manner of love. John is saying, what kind of love is this? I mean, really, what kind of love is this? It's so different. It's like nothing we've ever experienced because we don't understand divine love. Even when we hear about love, we look at it from a human perspective through our human lens. God's love is the divine love. See, when humans love, it's object-oriented, but that's not the way that God loves. Hear me out, God's love is subject-oriented. Think about that for a moment. When we see an object that we like, we place value on that object, don't we? We say, I want that. When I see a 12-point buck crossing the street, wait, that won't relate to everybody here. When we see a house, a car, or a nice piece of furniture, we go, oh, I like that, I want it. I wanna live in that house, I wanna drive that car, I wanna sit on that couch. I'm placing value on whatever it is that I like. Do you guys remember your first crush? Can you go back to your, uh, well for me it started early. <laughs> Liam is my son. It starts early, I, I can go back. I remember the first grade, my very first crush. Her name was Tara and I didn't know her at all, didn't know anything about her but I loved her. It was object-oriented, right? Because I loved Tara. I loved her so much I would tell my dad that too. He'd tell me, he would say, what's her last name? I don't know. What is she like? I don't know. Is she sweet? Is she kind? I don't know. Well, why do you love her? And I would say, Dad, are you not seeing what I'm seeing? I love her. I love Tara. I decided she was valuable. And why? Because I thought she was pretty. I thought she was pretty. That's how we love, but God doesn't love like we love. His love's not object-oriented, it's subject-oriented. And you know what that means? You know why that's so important to realize and to understand? Because his love is not based on us. It's based on his character. There's nothing about us that makes God love us. It isn't like he looks down and he says, well, there is a, a, one of my finest creations. Look at that. Justin, there's so much to love about Justin. He's so tall. <laughs> He's so buff. Wait a minute. <laughs> I love him because of all his amazing attributes. No, he loves me because it's the core of his character. That's who he is. 
Listen to me today. God loves you. He loves you so much. You may not have experienced love in this world. You may not know what real love is. Maybe you've been let down by love. Maybe you have not experienced true love by a spouse. Maybe it's from a father or a mother. Maybe it's from a sibling. And you struggle right now as I'm talking about love because you've only had bad experiences. Let me tell you something. The God of this, who created this universe, who created you, loves you and wants to pursue you passionately. He wants you. So the gift means we're on God's radar. We're loved. You know what else the gift means? You can experience redemption. You and I can experience redemption. Now, think for a moment with me. I, wanna, I gotta do a little history on this. So go back uh, in your minds at least. You don't have to turn there in your Bibles. But go back to the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Think how many times. Now, remember, this is the couple that uh, gave birth to, well, she gave birth to John the Baptist. And they were not able to have children. They wanted children so bad and they were not able to do it. Think how many times he and his wife sat, cried together over the pain of not being able to have children. Think about how many times they had to have hard conversations, had to reassure each other of their love for one another and for God. They probably had conversations where they dreamed together, talked about what they would name their child, or think about the pain that they must have felt every time they held somebody else's newborn baby. Or think about how many times they went to the Lord in prayer asking for a child. And when it finally happened, this reality that they had stopped even hoping for, the son that they thought they would never meet, you you remember that, mom and dad? You remember that first time you got to hold your baby? Hold your baby? Held. I still remember the first time I got to hold Allie. It changed me forever. Allie was my firstborn. I'll never, ever forget that day in Prescott, Arizona. I mean, nothing can prepare you for being a dad. And, and I was not ready for the, the type of emotions that I felt as I held that child. And I, I didn't even know, I'm not great at expressing myself, but I sure tried to. I opened my mouth and I talked to my baby when I held her for the first time and told her how much I love her, how much I'm gonna be there for her. I just, I, I expressed myself. I can't imagine how Zachariah must have felt because he literally couldn't speak. You guys remember the story? When Zechariah finally met his son, he could only ask for something to write on. He didn't get to speak the boy's name for eight whole days. And why couldn't he speak? You remember the story? Because when the angel Gabriel came to Zechariah and said what God was about to do, do you remember how he responded? And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. You remember that? I'll tell you what, the angel didn't care much for his lack of faith. Look with me. It says, and the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Zechariah held his long-awaited son in silence because he had sinned against the God who had opened his wife's womb. He, a priest, had dismissed what God had plainly said. And so God gave him nine quiet, painful, painful uh, seasons in front of the mirror. Every time he tried to speak, he was reminded of how he had failed. His speechlessness said that no one else could hear. His speechlessness was crying out, I have sinned. 
We all throw Zachariah under the bus too because we're like, what a fool. He actually hears from an angel and then he goes and he does that. I got news for you. We do it all the time. We have the spoken word of God in our hands that tells us to go out into all the world and make disciples. It tells us that God is with us, that God will be with us, that we are ambassadors for God's kingdom, that we should preach and proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. We have it. We have God's spoken word into our lives, and so many times we do what Zechariah did. God won't use me. He can't use me. So don't throw Zechariah under the bus, okay, because we do it all the time. But then as easily as he had shut Zechariah's mouth, God opened it again. If a man had been silent for almost an entire year, nine months, when he finally does speak, everyone's going to be pretty anxious to hear what he's got to say. So when he was finally able to speak again, what does he say? I want you to listen for yourself. What does Zechariah say? Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And then a few verses later, he says directly to his son, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Talk about a powerful moment. A moment where God's forgiveness and his grace was on display. You can better believe that at that moment, Zachariah experienced forgiveness, experienced grace and mercy while he is holding his answered prayer. He could finally speak, and now he's going to speak, and he says this, God forgives. God really, really forgives. He forgives sinners like me. He's really merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Go and tell everyone that forgiveness is possible because God has come. And you know what? I love what they named their child John. It means graced by God. And you know what? Zachariah was graced by God. And you know what? You and I are graced by God. And then in the Gospels, we get to read about this Jesus that John was preparing the way for. We read stories of Jesus forgiving. In fact, Jesus went all over the place declaring that it was his purpose for coming to the earth. He was going to declare and he was going to achieve forgiveness. And it just ticked off all the scribes and the Pharisees. They would drill Jesus with questions. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And this is Jesus' response. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And the best part of the story, the best part of the story is that that paralyzed man did what he had done, not done in who knows how long right? You guys know how the story ends? And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. His words were beautiful, but he didn't need to say a thing. His legs said it all. This man healed my failing body. I couldn't walk, and I'm walking now. Far more than that, he forgave my wayward soul. He forgives. God really forgives. 
Think about it. Jesus never sinned, but he knew just how tempting sin could be. He knew how much sin would cost him. This is why he came to this earth. He came to cancel sin. And so he taught all throughout the Gospels to seek forgiveness. Till Good Friday, forgiveness had been a promise. It was an authentic promise, but it was unseen. And after Jesus rose from the grave, he appeared to his disciples. He ate with them. They talked. He gave them a, a tour through Moses, through the prophets, through Psalms, to show them how every part pointed to him. And then he summed up the lesson saying this. Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Forgiveness promised. Forgiveness purchased. And now forgiveness preached far and wide throughout the world. Marshall Siegel said God had always been forgiving people through faith. Now he had the blood to prove it. Now he had the blood to prove it. Going back to what Paul said in our verse, if you look back at verse 15, I want to show you this again. You look back to verse 15, it says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God. And the free gift, by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Before Adam sinned, there was this perfect environment, and God told him, you could do whatever you want. You have the freedom to do whatever you want. Just don't eat from that, that tree. Just don't touch that, because in, in the day that you eat of that, you will what? You will die. You will die. You will surely die. In fact, that's, that's what he said. And that's sin. Sin. It overpromises. It und- undelivers. Do this and it's going to satisfy you. But here's the truth, and listen to me, people. Sin will never completely satisfy you. It leaves you wanting more. That's what sin does. The more you do it, the more unsatisfied you become. It, it doesn't fill you up. But the, and, and the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Death is separation. When Adam and Eve took of that fruit in that garden, they immediately began to die. They immediately began to die. They, they died. They started to die physically and they were spiritually separated from God. That's what death is. It's separation. And Paul's saying death came through Adam. He messed up everything and everybody's paying for it. But Christmas is all about the one man who fixed it and that's Jesus Christ. Paul's talking all about death, 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 death. And Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. So the gift means we're on God's radar. We're loved by God. It means we can experience redemption. And third, the gift means we can have eternal life. We can have eternal life. Did you just hear me? We can have eternal life. Jesus came to give us eternal life. And what is eternal life? Let me start by telling what eternal life is not, okay? It's not just living forever. It's not eternal existence. It's not quantity of life. Eternal life is a new kind of life. Eternal life is a new kind of life. It's, a, it's life in a new spirit. It's spiritual life. Eternal life is a new quality of life. The moment you're born again through faith in Jesus Christ, you not only have the Holy Spirit, you are born into God's kingdom and you are given eternal life. It's the life of God in the soul of man. One of the best descriptions of a true and genuine believer is that they have the life of God in their soul. 
A true Christian has eternal life, and that's found in no other place. Listen to me, no other place but the, in the person of Jesus Christ. Best Christmas passage of all time is John three sixteen. Right? You guys know this one. This is one of the first ones we've learned. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's Christmas and Good Friday all in one. <laughs> Christmas is for salvation. And at the end of his life, Jesus was standing before Pilate. You remember this? And Pilate said to him, so you are a king? You are a king? And, and Jesus answered, you say... Ignore that. I'm sorry. I'm learning this. <laughs> Other way. Other way. One more. There we go. I'm going to get it, guys. Give it up for me. Come on. <laughs> Your pastor has been humbled. Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice listens to my voice the truth is that Jesus came to make things right you and I have the opportunity to have life the way God originally intended it to be eternal life eternal life is not interrupted by death in John chapter 11 verse 25 through 26 Jesus says I am the resurrection and the life whoever believes in me Though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I have heard about ministers who at funerals at one point will shout the name of the person who's deceased. And they'll say, this person is not dead. For Jesus has said, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Eternal life is not interrupted by death. And you know, I love John chapter 17, verse three, one of my favorite passages. It says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. The question that screams out from the gospel of John is, do you know Jesus? Not have you prayed a prayer, not do you go to church, not is your obedience to the 10 commandments better than most other people's, but do you know the love of Jesus and have you received his free offer of salvation? In fact, Jesus said that many people who call on him will be turned away from him on, on the last day because he never knew them. The people who will be turned away on the last day, they're people who served God. Jesus said that they were pretty busy. They were plenty busy. They, they went to church. They preached sermons. They, made, they gave offerings. In fact, some of them even performed miracles. Some of them cast out demons. The problem, their problem, is that they never knew a Jesus so gracious that he received sinners freely. And they didn't value that Jesus enough to forsake all the treasures of this world for him. And as a result, they never rested their souls in his grace or feasted their souls on his pleasure. Even then, on the last day, they think their religious activities, they think all the things that they did were going to earn their right to heaven. They say, look, Lord, look, look at all that we did for you. And you know what that proves? It only proves that they didn't really know who Jesus was. Jesus is not known by doing enough. He's not known by giving enough. Jesus is known only by believing in his compassion towards you and resting in his promise of eternal life. The good news is that knowing him can be really easy. 
Jesus did everything necessary to reconcile you, to reconcile me fully to God. All we need to do is simply repent, believe that what the gospel says about him is true. That's it. He is a God who stands ready to accept you completely because what Jesus has done for you. He's a God whose mercy and love for you knows no bounds. It stretches out toward you right at this very moment. Some of you are hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit right now. There's something going on in your heart and you can't even comprehend it. You don't know how to explain it. That's the love of God. Following Jesus as Lord means that your life will change radically. Because all of a sudden he's gonna rule your life. And you're gonna find that obedience and even, even sacrifice, they're, they're gonna be sweet because his presence is in you and his presence is with you. My question is, have you ever felt that love in your heart? Have you believed, have you embraced that love personally? Have you heard his voice in your soul saying, you, you, you are my child. I died for you. I have accepted you. If not, I'm begging you, open up your heart to him today. Open up your heart. You can believe this morning. What if you finally say, Lord Jesus, I see you in your word and I no longer want to resist you. I trust you with my soul and my body. I believe the promise of John three sixteen that whoever believes in Jesus will not perish but have eternal life. I receive your gift of eternal life. Here's your part. This is what you do. You receive the gift. That's it. What good is it to have a, a, a present, a gift, and you never open it? It sits in your closet. It's never used. Take the gift today. Take it. If you haven't taken it, take the gift. It'll be the best Christmas present you've ever received. Would you bow your, your hearts and your heads for a moment? Father, I love this time of the year. I love it for all that it symbolizes, for all the things that we remember and we celebrate. The gift that you are offering us undid everything that Adam did. That is such an incredible gift. Gift has the power to change us. That gift helps us stop playing church, helps us stop being religious. It, it changes our lives. So Father, thank you. Thank you that you so love the world that you gave your only son, that whoever would believe in him would receive eternal life. And that's the receiving part of this gift. If we just receive it, the most amazing thing's gonna happen. We won't perish. We're gonna have everlasting life. And this is what I, we choose to remember today. We wanna remember you, your unique love, the chance at redemption and the eternal life that is ours if we just receive it. So Father, I pray that we would receive into our lives the gift, the free gift of salvation today, the gift of life, the gift of love. All of it comes through your son, Jesus Christ, and only through your son. God, that we would receive him today, that we would surrender our lives to the King of Kings. And if you've never done that before, you can do it right now, right now. If in your heart you were willing to turn to Jesus, and it has to be from your heart. You've gotta, you've gotta be willing to do it. You've gotta mean it. And if you really want that, you can receive the gift right now, wherever you're at. If you're watching online, if you're sitting here in, in person, all you have to do is say, I believe that Jesus was born, that he died, that he rose from the dead. Through his death and his resurrection, Jesus paid the penalty for my sin and my transgression. And I turn from my old life. I turn from life where I was the king 
where I was trying to rule and I was trying to reign and I give my life to you as my savior and my Lord. I wanna live for you. Forgive me, receive me and help me to live for you in Jesus' name.